Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Well, good morning, everybody. We are coming to you at one of the most uh, interesting times in uh, any of our lives. I was talking to Barney just the other day, and they have a neighbor uh, who has lived a, a good long life, and he asked his neighbor if he'd ever seen anything quite like this in his life, and his neighbor said, uh, not really, but that it was different than things that he had uh, gone through, a different time, a uh, different season, and, and he even said at one point that uh, even if they had gone through something of this magnitude, they didn't have the internet to know uh, what was happening uh, everywhere in the world at one time. And, and I really do believe that uh, part of the panic and part of the concern that we uh, are dealing with in our culture is that uh, we've taken our interconnectedness and, and those things uh, too far. And now we know every little detail of everybody's life, and sometimes that's, that's not always a good thing. The scripture talks about uh, not being in our neighbor's house too often, uh, lest he hate us. <laughs> and I think that that's something that we need to take into consideration. It is, it is an amazing thing that we as Christians have been called to uh, a life of community, a life of community unlike any other uh, gathering of people unlike any other family of people, and it's really a beautiful thing. But um, but we have to be uh, we have to be wise in what we're doing. So this morning we're going to take a, a bit of a brief break from our series in Luke, and we're going to be looking at Second Timothy chapter one verses six through twelve. So of course, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to uh, get your family around the around the screen, if you will. And, uh, and get your Bibles open so that we can walk through this together as a church. Uh, just so you know, there are people here with me, and that is the leadership of our church, and it's really exciting to be able to at least look at some live faces. Uh, this kind of thing is, is very strange to me. I, I just shared with you a message last week of the importance of gathering physically with people, and yet there are times where... Things like this are necessary. So we'll, we'll continue uh, on as usual, and we'll continue to worship God, and we'll use the tools that he has given us through technology, uh, and I'm hoping that we can use them with wisdom, and we can use them to his glory. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, uh, these are the words of God. I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. Through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, Paul, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he, God, is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. The week of September 11th, 2001, pastors across our nation took to their pulpits to address a populace in panic. A nation confused about the future after one of the most horrific attacks uh, carried out on American soil. Today, we find ourselves in yet another unprecedented time, this one of panic and confusion just the same, albeit for very different circumstances. Yet, the task for a pastor is exactly the same, to offer comfort. Our comfort is the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At all times, and especially in moments like these, pastors have a responsibility to shepherd God's church in helpful and meaningful ways. 1 Peter 5, 1-4. The task that's set before us is to bring about a greater focus on God and his kingdom over and against the sinful world that we live in. That is to say, the harsh realities of this life. In doing this, we are to teach both in word and deed, that is both through the scriptures and by our example, a biblical response to such tragedies, such events. That response is summed up in that old phrase, walk by faith. But there are unique challenges in accomplishing this task, particularly in today's online world. In a culture like ours, where there are so many voices saying so many things, the challenge is in cutting through all the other noise. You see, each of us can get online and we can find personalities that will tell us exactly what we want to hear. We can and often do choose voices that simply confirm our biases. If it's fear that we are driven towards, then we will find voices that stir that fear. If it is faith, we will drive towards voices of faith, hopefully mature voices of faith. However, it's this picking and choosing of biased voices that leaves us unable to be corrected by the people that God has placed in our lives to shepherd our souls. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, and Hebrews 13, 17. By the way, the tendency to select biased voices is as true for faith as it is for politics and even our current crisis. The product of a postmodern world, the attitude of the masses, is that there are no absolutes in life and that you and I can have our own truth, which is self-contradictory. We, when we're confronted with a correction from God's word, especially from God's word, we resist because Jesus sees things differently, just because we see things differently. Uh, if this were taken to its logical conclusion, when we say things like, well, I don't agree with you, I interpret it differently. If we were to take this to our logical conclusion, there would be no sense, especially for the church, to rightly divide the word of God. As a matter of fact, what would it even mean to rightly divide anything? And better still, who gets to decide that? But there remains an absolute, that's our hope, and there's another hope, we might not see this hope, but there are those given by God to deliver his absolutes and his truth. That is what pastors and teachers are for. With that said, I want to make to you a promise. A promise in both this message and in uh, any other message that I deliver to you. My promise is this, I promise to stay in my lane. 
but that implies something very important. I have a lane. Uh, When it comes to pandemics, you should trust the experts. I am not one in this area. You should listen to the CDC. You should listen to other organizations that are tasked with these matters. Many people miss this, but the scripture tells us that God has ordained all governments. That doesn't just mean the president or the king. It means every established entity underneath that government, which means we would be obeying God to actually listen. So we need to listen to experts in these matters. It would be terribly irresponsible for anyone, and especially for pastors, to pretend that they know more than these experts do. Instead, uh, what I want to do, my lane, if you will, is to focus on how Christians should interact with the world in the midst of chaos, how Christians should interact with each other in the midst of times of crisis, and lastly, how our interactions affect our testimony. Today, I want to talk to you about faith versus fear in our current global pandemic. Let me speak boldly at the outset, and this will definitely offend some. Christians, by and large, today, sound foolish and immature. Christians, by and large, today, sound foolish and immature. While the whole world is watching, Christians are fighting like little children over whose faith is bigger and stronger. Meanwhile, the world is either mocking us or, worse yet, they've hit the mute button on our lives. This church is a terrible tragedy. That the people of God, marked by a saving message, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, could possibly forfeit our ability to be heard? What have we done? On one side of the situation, we have Christians who are living with irrational fear. They present a faith of no actual value, a God that they espouse that effectively makes no real promises, and even if he does, he can't follow through on any of them. On the other side, we have Christians who have the most absurd and unhelpful definition of faith that the world has ever been given. Their idea of taking any precautions whatsoever is therefore a display of a lack of faith in God is flatly irresponsible. This group often espouses promises that God never actually made. Both sides, by the way, take every Bible passage that they use completely out of context to prove their point. So, what are we to do? Are we hopeless? Are we at an impasse? The answer is no. Is a message like this just adding to the fray? Am I just another arguing voice in the midst? The answer is also no, but it requires a bit of a qualification. You see, in God's story, according to God's word, the purpose of his servants, pastors, teachers, prophets, elders, etc., have and always will be to offer course correction when needed in times like these. This is the reason that these individuals must be qualified. This is the reason why these individuals must be mature. And this is the reason why these individuals must remain humble. This is why just... Any old talking head will not do in times like this. So, as bold as this may sound to you, please hear me. I am one appointed by God as a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to offer you a way forward. To the first group, those living in abject fear, I would remind you that we are to be a people who live by faith, 
2 Corinthians 5, 7. That the world around us is supposed to see how we live and consequently ask for the hope that we have. 1 Peter 3.15 So, for us to look exactly like the rest of the world, living in fear is to abdicate our role. It is to reject our call to be holy, that is to be set apart. We are to be set apart as God himself is set apart, 1 Peter 1.16. But living in fear is not being set apart. To the second group, a group that I will title the hyper-faith crowd, I would remind you what faith actually is and its true object. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, according to Hebrews 11.1. This means that there are concrete things in which we are supposed to place our hope and not made up things. There is actual behavior that proves genuine faith as well. All too often, people hold, who hold to this hyper-faith view end up placing faith in their amount of faith, which is not right and not biblical. Trust me when I say, your faith will never be the object of your faith. It doesn't make sense. The object of our faith is God, and it is His promises, but it must be His promises. This week, and who am I kidding, almost every week, Christians have joined on social media in what I will call a holy dog pile. The two sides, as mentioned earlier, passive-aggressively fighting it out for all the world to see about whose faith is better. One side posts things like, well, God says, fear not and trust me, over 500 times, followed up by, people don't know faith, they just know fear. Sad truth. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking about? Remember where we are in this interesting storyline. We're not at the point of the Black Plague. People are not dying in our towns 40 and 50 every day. We are in a unique place. We're in a place where we might actually prevent such a tragedy. Is it not walking by faith in the actual word of God to use wisdom and prevent such a tragedy? It is. And we should walk by that kind of faith. Again, I read things like, I'm believing that the fear of the Lord is about to return, one that is a healthy fear, full of power and glory. And that would have been an absolutely amazing post if the person would have stopped there. But they didn't. They went on and derailed the entire message. I'm believing that the fear of the Lord is about to return, only that one that is healthy, a healthy fear, full of power and glory, not sickness and isolation. And I hope you're ready for that. Who are you talking to? Satan doesn't have a Facebook account. So you must be talking to Christians. Why is it that you keep ridiculing them? What does this even mean? This is yet another voice that adds to confusion. Do you mean that taking any preventative measure at all, say isolation temporarily, is an unhealthy fear or a lack of faith? Do you take your philosophy to its logical end? Let me ask you a better question. Do you wear your seatbelt? Come on, this is an absurd way of looking at faith. I've seen pastors and parishioners posting 2 Timothy 1.7 all week long. Uh, I, I believe that the principles are true in this moment. But you know that 2 Timothy 1 has nothing to do with pandemics, right? You do realize that it's all about sharing your faith with a world that doesn't want to hear about Jesus and is willing to persecute us for sharing it. 
So here's my question to pastors and Christians. When the pandemic of coronavirus is gone, will you still go to Facebook? Will you still go to your pulpit and demand that your people not isolate the gospel and preach it with boldness? Because we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Will you do that then? I'm not sure you will, but what I would caution you with is this. The truth is a double-edged sword. You ought to be very careful how you attempt to wield it. In 1 Timothy 5.23, when Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach and his frequent ailments... According to this hyper-faith view that I just mentioned, Paul would be encouraging Timothy to live with an unhealthy fear or not by faith. May it never be. Paul was the preacher of faith. By grace, through faith, he says, we are saved. Even more, Paul would then be contradicting himself when he later writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 by telling him we've not been given a spirit of fear. Paul is not contradicting himself. You simply don't understand faith. This is where maturity and where learning comes in. The list goes on and on on Facebook, misappropriating passages like Psalm 91, telling Christians that they'll never face plague or famine, that it will never come near our houses. 2 Chronicles 7.14, all we have to do is pray and repent and God will heal our land. Do you believe that these passages apply to us? Christians are not exempt from facing issues like these. Do you believe that when Scripture says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, that that means every promise from the past is equally true for you as it was for the situational context it was given in? You are wrong. It is not true. And yet all those promises are yes and amen and have been yes and amen in Christ Jesus. In 1637, the plague claimed 8,000 people in the town of a man by the name of Martin Rincart. 8,000 people, including the vast majority of his town council, an exorbitant amount of children, clergymen from a neighboring parish, and even Martin's wife. Rincart had to do the work of three men, historians would tell us. He had to bury between 40 and 50 people every day until he had buried personally 4,480 individual lives. And guess what? Martin did well through it all. Now thank we all our God, that song we last sang, began as a family prayer before meals during that time in Martin's life. Later, it was sung as a national thanksgiving at a celebration service when the Thirty Years' War ended. With the exception of A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, it is the most widely sung sung hymn in Germany today, sung on numerous occasions for national rejoicing. That first verse that we sang, the chorus, if you will, of the song, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, whose wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. This great hymn is the product of genuine faith. It's a faith in the face of true adversity. This wasn't a faith that acted superior to another's and played it off like everybody was just living in fear. This wasn't a faith that pretended God promised things he never did. This also wasn't a faith that could ignore the reality all around them. Martin lost his very wife in this time. 
This was genuine faith, church. This is biblical faith. This is the same kind of faith we read of in Daniel, of the three Hebrew children when they face the fiery furnace. In August of 1527, the plague had struck Martin Luther's city of Wittenberg. Many of Luther's fellow citizens ran for their lives. Luther's prince, Elector John, ordered Luther to leave immediately to save his own life. But Luther chose to stay and to minister to those who were stricken. Luther himself was surrounded by disease and the suffering victims that it was affecting. Luther said that Christians who trust God and minister directly to the dying shouldn't fear anything. Instead, they should care for those like Jesus cared for us or that we cared for Jesus. Remember, it was Jesus who said, I was sick and you cared for me in Matthew 25, 36. And during that time, they were dealing with leprosy. John wrote that Christ laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for others, 1 John 3, 16. On the other hand, Luther warned of an overconfident populace, those who underestimated the seriousness of plague and disease, those who were frivolous towards God. Ultimately, Luther left all personal decisions on whether or not to flee the plague to every individual in light of the word of God. And as your pastor... I encourage you to use your conscience and to look to the word of God. But here is what Martin Luther said. These are his words. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I will fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it myself. I love those lines. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however... I shall not avoid place or person, but go freely. So, what do we conclude from all of this? What is our message? What is our response in the midst of tragedy? Let me offer you uh, several steps. Number one, I want you to know that God did not promise Christians freedom from trials like these. We live in the same fallen world the rest of the world lives in. Quite the opposite. Instead, what God has given to us is a hope that when it is brought to full maturity, we'll be impervious to such matters. We will walk by faith boldly for all the world to see. God did give us a new spirit. Paul told Timothy that that spirit was not that of fear, but of power, love, and discipline. As for power, it's not a power to stop all the evils of the world. As we see from scripture and church history, it is rather a power to face those evil, evils, never bending a knee to anyone but God alone. As for love, this is the kind of love that we see in Matthew 25 and 1 John 3. This is a love that prays, and as Martin Luther said, it's a love that fumigates, gives medicine, and takes it. I want you to understand how true faith employs practical human actions. So this week, as a family, I would encourage you to study James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Taking action is not a lack of faith, church. 
As for discipline, this is a discipline that seeks and trusts wise counsel. We have been given a counselor in the Spirit of God, and yet we are still surrounded by wise counselors, hopefully that have his Spirit, and that speak into our lives what his Word would tell us. A discipline of seeking wise counsel, a discipline that stops and thinks about where we are in our particular story. Hear me clearly, church. Currently, we are not in Martin Luther's shoes. We are not in Martin Reinhardt's shoes. For that matter, we are not in Christians' shoes that faced the plague and famine that, because of their great response, changed the face of Christianity forever. Praise God we're not there. Praise God we're not there. But instead, we're at a stage where our actions may prevent such catastrophes. Let us use wisdom. Lastly, we are in a place where we have the opportunity to display true hope in our world. And we're going to get to 2 Timothy 1 right now. Contrary to the hyperfaith crowd, true hope can isolate for a time if it is a way to love others and to prevent the spread of any disease. True hope can also stock up on a reasonable amount of toilet paper. <laughs> However, and contrary to the fear-driven crowd, true hope cannot retreat from our responsibility to love God and neighbor, even to the point of laying down our lives. We are not people who run, but we are a people who use wisdom and do what is needed. So back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I remind you, Timothy, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, verse 8 is where it's all at. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That is our message in this world. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Instead of being mocked or muted by the culture in which we live, church, let's be a people who suffer for the gospel according to the power of God. Let's be a people who live by true faith so as to make the world ask, what is this hope? That you all have. As far as practical steps, church, this week, uh, if there's anyone who is in need of groceries or supplies, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have a volunteer in our church who uh, felt it pressed upon her heart to start this ministry, Allison Sosa, and we're gonna back her 110%. If you are a person who feels that because of your health issues, you're susceptible to this particular virus, then we want to come and provide things for you. And if that means we bag your groceries and we put them on your doorstep and you hose them down with Lysol before you take them in your house, we're 100% game. But we want to help you. Because why? Because we love you. And we're supposed to be the people who are not afraid. We want to show you what Jesus would do. And we want to serve you as though we were serving him. If you have childcare issues this week due to cancellations and you need help, I want you to reach out to us. 
I want you to reach out to the church. I want you to reach out to me personally at NathanFrankhauser at gmail.com because we have a facility here that is clean and it is well taken care of. And within a reasonable amount of people, we are willing to host people here if we need to do that. But we want to be available for you. We want to provide opportunity for you. We get it. If you don't go to work, you don't eat. If your kids are home, you can't go to work. We get all of the issues. We will find people to come and to be a part of this so that we can help you in any way that we can. This is what it means to be Jesus to you. If you'd like to pray with us, uh, as Mark shared before, We want to be here to pray with you. Every morning, we're going to be praying corporately from 9 to 9.30. You can keep six feet of distance from us if that's what you'd like to do. That's what the experts talk about. I'm fine with that. But you can come and you can pray with us. If that's something you don't want to do, get out in public, then I encourage you to pray at home. Anywhere between the hours of midnight and midnight. (laughs) I encourage you to be praying at all times without ceasing. We are in one of the most unique situations, I would argue the most unique situation any of us have ever dealt with. This is not just a sickness or an issue that Americans have to deal with. This is a global pandemic. To treat it lightly is to act like we've been here before. We're all newbies at this. We're all facing this for the first time. We ought to be careful about how we proceed. But if you want time to pray with us, we want you to be here with us to pray. If there's something that you'd like to do for others, something that you feel would be helpful to the greater body or those who are at risk, we want to encourage you to share those ideas with us. It's going to take every one of us playing our part to be able to help. This extends far beyond just our uh, community here at Pierce Point. It needs to extend beyond our community to those in the world who are in need. And here's why. Because as I shared at the outset, our message, our response to situations like this communicates our hope. And if we are to be a hopeful people, we ought to be a bold people. We ought to be a smart people, but we ought to be a bold people. So, I know that this has felt more like a presidential address than it has been a sermon this morning. But uh, we, have, we have hope. And the world needs to see that hope. And we all need to come together and we need to do every part. If you're a part of uh, a church or if you're a part of another group uh, inside of God's kingdom, if you're a part of a church that believes that you can meet together and do all those things, here's what I want you to hear. You've got no judgment from us. We're not going to add to the fray. We're not going to start picking fights. But when it comes to our house, when it comes to our church, we are going to operate on the wisdom that God has given us. We are going to pastor and shepherd our people based on what God has told us to do. And we're going to do that with complete faith that we are doing what God has wanted us to do. We're going to trust him. We're in this together, guys. And heaven forbid this situation get worse. But if it would get worse... We're going to need everybody banding together as Christians to be able to handle such a tragic situation. We love our king. We love his people. That includes you. (laughs) And we want to do everything that we can to maintain unity and to present that message, that gospel message of hope. We are God's people, amen? 
We are his people. We have nothing to fear. So as we close out today, uh, we're going to sing a song of worship, and I'm going to offer to you uh, uh, a time of prayer right now. I'm going to pray that God would protect our families, that God would encourage our hearts, and that God would uh, compel us to be his hands and feet in the world. So if you would, uh, I, I would ask that you would gather with your family, that you would come together with those inside of your house, that you would model for them what prayer looks like, that you'd bow your heads, that you'd close your eyes, that you would get yourself in a posture of humility, and, and please go with me and calling out to the Lord of glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done. We know, Lord, that you have not given us a spirit of fear. We know that instead you have given us your Holy Spirit, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of discipline. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to use that power, to use that love, and to use that discipline. In other words, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk by your Spirit and by faith throughout this interesting time that we find ourselves in so that we can show the world that we are a people of hope. We love you, Lord, and we love your people, and we love our neighbor, and we want to show them that you love every one of us. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.